Hey, it's your host, Will Payne Harrison. Um, no intro today because I wanted to talk to you about something really serious that happened in, here in Nashville. If you don't know, uh, if you haven't been watching the news, there was a Christmas Day bombing um, downtown on 2nd Avenue, and uh, a lot of people's homes were destroyed, and um, a lot of people have been displaced, fortunately, the silver lining is that no one uh, other than the suicide bomber was killed, and um, I'm thankful for that. I'm so glad that uh, no one else lost their life on uh, Christmas Day. But uh, I'm going to take a second for a moment of silence for uh, everyone in Nashville. All right, everyone, I'm so sorry for that somber intro, but um, I did want to take a minute just to recognize the tragedies that have happened here in Nashville, along with the uh, tornado that happened earlier this year, and of course, all the COVID shutdowns in the music industry. It's been a rough year. Uh, this is the last episode of 2020, thank God. And uh, no offense, I've had a fun time uh, with all the Zoom calls and all the amazing people that have been on the podcast, but um, I'm, I'm very thankful and looking forward to 2021. I feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is getting a little bit brighter, and um, that's a very exciting thing. Um, I also do want to say that uh, uh, rest in peace to Tony Rice, who also passed away this week at uh, the young age of 69. Um, he's a monster guitar player and, and uh, bluegrass and progressive uh, player uh, and an Americana artist. And uh, so we lost another good one uh, this year. So, okay, all the sadness out of the way. Let's get to excitement. Uh, for the last episode of the year today, I have Van Plating. Uh, Rachel Van Plating uh, has been a friend of mine for a little while. We met at... Um, a festival called Folk Yeah, and um, that Mike Dunn put on uh, down in Florida uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I've been kind of watching her career um, in the last couple of years. And uh, I knew that she was putting out some new music. She's uh, got a few articles uh, on American Songwriter, uh, B-Side and ba Badlands. Um, shout out to Jason. And uh, a few more, The Boot. I saw she was on the boot as well. So she's uh, doing some good stuff. She's got some new singles, Bird on a Wire out. Um, so without further ado, the last episode of 2020 with my dear friend, Rachel Van Plating. Some days I try to lay it down. One more trip to the sun comes around. Too tired to move, too tired to quit Like a lonesome dove, heavy on the wind Hey everyone, today on the podcast I have Van Plating, that's Rachel Van Plating <clears throat> And uh, she has a new single out, Bird on a Wire uh, And some more stuff on the way, so we're going to talk to her today uh, How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing great, thanks for having me Absolutely. I actually requested you. I've been getting a lot of requests, but um, I saw that your uh, publicist had you on the roster and I really wanted to catch up and talk to you. So I'm glad that uh, we were able to make it happen. Um, so you got a new single. I just heard it. Bird on a Wire. It's fantastic. Is there more coming? Yes. Yes. Um, Bird on a Wire is the first release off of an album I'm working on um, with my friend, songwriting buddy, Brian Elijah Smith. Um, he's producing and uh, we've got four songs done, three more coming. So it's I'm kind of feeling it out whether or not we're going to do a full LP or not, just kind of working as we go. But yes, lots more coming from that. It's kind of a weird time to be in musically because like LP and EP doesn't really exist anymore, you know, with I, Spotify. I know, I know. So weird. I feel like it doesn't matter, though, anymore. And that's kind of very freeing. Hold on yeah. just a second. I have children screaming. I apologize. Oh, you're fine. They were supposed to be exiled and they're not. Yeah, it's a weird time to be uh, 
making, you know, album. Well, I'm an album consumer and I'm right. sure you're the same way, but right. as far as like streaming platforms go, a lot of people aren't, they're more no. like single yes. consumers. Absolutely. And I, that's why I've decided to promote this next body of work the way I'm doing it. Like instead of kind of getting more caught up in, you know, like even just a few years ago, if you were going to write a record, right, you like came up with your concept and you sat down and you wrote for a few months, maybe or a year or however long. <clears throat> but then you would have that collection of songs ready. And then you go to the studio and produce it and all of that. And now, um, especially this year, you know, with everything that's going on this year within our industry, it just seems like it makes a lot more sense to just be awake to what's going on. And if you're going to reach people, they're all listening to singles, you know, there, there just aren't as many people who are like the diehard fans of the full album that are going to sit down and listen through, you know, like 40 minutes or an hour of your music the the first day it comes out so i think it makes a lot of sense to like release a single give them that little taste and and see how it go does and then save you know save what whatever else you have um produced you know and together and like slowly release it instead of maybe releasing like one or two singles and then the whole thing at I least think, <laughs> yeah i think consumerism has changed and we're so used to like the the small doses and we right. so like if you were to release the entire album or i were to release an entire album tomorrow it would get the same amount of listens to the whole thing as like one song would get that right so you can release like one song now, one song in like three months, one song in three more months and right. get so much more out of. Right. You. It's so true. Yeah. And when you're paying, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to record, <laughs> you want to get the I most know. out of your money. I know. I know. It's a very expensive industry, personally, financially, emotionally. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just, I was about to say emotionally for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you released your full first full length last year as Van Plating. Yes. But that wasn't your first venture into music because no. you told me earlier before we started that you played bass <laughs> back in the day in a really cool band back in Florida. Yes, yes. I mean, anybody, anybody growing up in Florida in like the early and mid 2000s would have had to have at least like, if not your pinky toe at least one full foot in the emo world, you know? Right. Um, and so I Especially played- Especially with like Further Seems Forever Dashboard Confessional coming from out there. Yep, yeah. yep. And that was like, those were like our favorite bands. You know, you would drive hours to see them. Um, so I was in a little, a little indie band back then and then kind of played in a lot of different sort of setups. I always loved to play and I was kind of split between the- classical music world which was you know when I was in college that was what paid for my school so I was like pretty intensely serious in that world and it was just such a release to like go you know and play rock and roll with my friends um and so I was like the girl that would just play anything like sure I don't really play bass but I'll figure it out you know <laughs> sure yeah. I'll play electric violin in your band why not you know um, and then that kind of turned into this love of the indie music culture for me. And I started my own band um, a couple of years out of college and it was called Pemberley. Um, and we toured around and had a really good time. It was a fun time to be in music. It was kind of right before streaming became the main you know, mode of which people heard music, you know, lots of people still went to shows every weekend and it was just a really fun time to be in music. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I, I love talking to people that have been doing music for a little while because they remember, you know, the, the MySpace days, cause there's, oh my a, God. there's a weird yeah. change um, from like, you had to make phone calls to every venue, which is. Right exhausting to oh cool now i can just message them on myspace and they can see all my plays and you right. shows and uh that was such a cool thing now everybody emails but like nobody was emailing back then it wasn't nobody a thing yeah yeah it was all myspace and like remember you had like your top eight 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I've said this on here or not. I told someone recently about my my deep secret of uh, I was on everyone's top eight, at least in Louisiana, <laughs> because I was one of the early adopters. Yeah. And so, and my name was just Will Payne. It wasn't Will Payne Harrison at the time. And so I would be like out in public and people would be like, you're Will Payne from MySpace. <laughs> That's so amazing. Weird. <laughs> that was my 15 minutes of fame back then. Uh, oh, that's funny. I think my my profile is still alive somewhere in the internet underworld. I think I remember being embarrassed by it, finding it and deleting it. So I don't think mine exists because it was like real scene, like emo boy, tight black shirts. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sad that I missed out on seeing that. Yeah. I- need to find a way to get rid of mine. I'm sure it's still out there. So your your background, you said, is uh, classical music too. And you said you played violin. Um, how did, what are the similarities to classical music and what was different? Like, where did you like, like find joy? Because you said you really loved doing the indie thing and you fell in love with it. But it's got to be so much different from classical music, but also I'm sure there's similarities as well. Okay. It's so, so super different, but, um, yeah, I mean, just, I've always enjoyed writing music and until I, until I found the sort of indie band world, I didn't really see a way for myself to write music like professionally, you know? Um, but I always loved it even growing up with the the classical music thing. And then I, I also had a good bit of bluegrass influence. My granddad had a bluegrass band and they're the ones that kind of taught me how to play by ear and improvise. So there was like all these different influences for me all of the time. Um, and then within classical music, um, I think that the biggest difference for me between those two worlds is the fact that if you go into classical music for a career, you're essentially like a historian and a curator, you know, and you need those people. We really need those people to keep that art alive. It's similar yeah. to a lot of the really, really like, like true blue heritage Americana artists are doing, you know, they're curators, they're keeping an art alive. Well, I was thinking that about bluegrass too, because yeah. bluegrass purists are like, no, you played exactly how Earl Scruggs played it. Nope. Oh, for no. God. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I used to go with my granddad, they used to have play-ins um, in this teeny tiny town um, outside of a, an also tiny town in Florida. It was a town called Casham and uh, they would have these bluegrass play-ins and it was this um, sort of this underground culture. Like you had to know about it to know it was happening, but you'd go and you'd just sit in, you know, they'd be playing in circles all yeah. over the park. Right. And I'm sure you've been to these and a mm-hmm. lot of these players, they'd be like a hundred years old and they're just shredding, like blowing yeah. your mind at, at these old, songs from Appalachia, songs that maybe even traveled over from Europe, you know, and then got changed into all these different forms into that kind of bluegrass world. So yeah, it's really interesting. So bluegrass and classical are similar in that, in that way, you know, because if you pursue those things as a career, which you totally can do, it's just a different creative direction you know your creativity goes more into translating someone else's ideas what I thought was really cool about indie music um indie rock and emo was that there are all these sounds that you know now right now there's like all these meme accounts and parodies and stuff of emo bands but then that was like a new thing the way those songs sounded no one had really sounded like that before right Um, and so that was really interesting for me. There was a lot of freedom, whereas in school, I was getting a lot of structure. Um, the similarities, though, I would say are in the way melody works is the same, you know, no matter what sort of genre you're in. I mean, melody is first, right? That's what catches your ear, makes right. you lean in. And I also think that the intensity of performances you would see from some of those bands back in the day um also match the intensity you get like the intensity of feeling you get at like an orchestral concert that's really amazing they just wreck you you know and so that's also really really similar the passion behind it and the heart behind it yeah i i think that in indie music uh there's a they're trying to get that same goal 
off of six strings, but they're yes. not necessarily as intellectually right. uh, knowledgeable about what they're doing, but they're, they're still trying to accomplish the same thing in a different way. And you know, they're using like sweeping washing delays and, and, and all right. words to try to yeah, yeah. say the same yeah. thing tons of open chords and suspended chords that you'd see like, you know, I'm a nerd, right? And so I could see a lot of similarities between the chords that maybe Debussy or Franz Liszt would use and what some of my friends in like Copeland, a lot of his stuff, Aaron's stuff sounded very, very sort of cinematic, but similar to like an Aaron Copeland or modern American composers, you know, but the way it's getting translated is different. I would say the content though is is can be equally moving for sure. Yeah. I forgot about Copeland. Those guys. Those guys. Um so yeah. you uh also have been you told me before we started that you've been working on a, a new project with yes. Michael MacArthur. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, Michael MacArthur is a friend. Um, he's a wonderful artist, singer songwriter, and he's been, you know, working and playing and touring for a long, long time. Um, and he's, he also lives in Lakeland, actually very close by. And he's been doing a lot of recording at home. He came over one day to record an acoustic version of Bird on a Wire, which is out now. And um, we just liked the way it sounded. And he very graciously offered uh, to record some more songs for me. And so we sat down one morning and mic'd up my living room and did um, a bunch of single takes, uh, live performances of three more new songs that are gonna be coming out. And then we decided, uh, I've always been obsessed with like Ethan John's early Ray LaMontagne kind of recordings where you get that really ambient string sound. Yeah. And I've never used that for my own stuff. It seems really silly that I've never really used much of my violin on my stuff, but I thought this would be a really good opportunity to do it. So then we layered strings, uh, same idea, single takes for each track, layered string parts on top of it. So it sounds very raw and very intimate. You're hearing all the bow sounds and you're hearing breathing sounds from the vocal, you know, none of it's going to be, it's not going to be cleaned up, you know, mm -hmm. it'll be tasteful, but very, very intimate. And uh, I'm going to be releasing songs from that project gradually over the next year alongside the other one too. Is, is, does that have a different name or is it going to be under van plating as well? Uh, it'll be under van plating. Um, and I haven't figured out the name of the project yet, but they'll both, they'll both be up as different projects. Nice. Very cool. That's a lot of, I feel like a lot of people are getting a lot done this year, which is super cool. You know, people are releasing multiple albums and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a gift to be able to work. You know, I think all of us, uh, kind of had to go through all the stages of grieving, right. Of like yes. what, what was happening this year. And, yeah, you did a bunch of festivals and stuff. I uh, did. Super cool, yeah. I did. One day they'll be back, you know? <laughs> yeah. I hope. Uh, and I love performing, you know? I really... Uh, everybody's different, right? Some of us, like, hate live performance, and they would rather be in the studio all the time. But I love both, and I get a lot out of performance. Maybe that sounds super selfish, but I just miss it. I miss that interaction. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I know it'll be back one day, but I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that that wasn't going to happen. And and then everything else that, you know, that's come out of it creatively has just happened organically. I just sort of put my head down and kept writing and then opportunities started to come. And I'm so grateful for that because I, I don't know where I'd be without being able to work on music this year through all this hard stuff, you know? Yeah. How do you find, so you, you have children, they were in the background earlier. Yes. How do you, how do you have the time or find the time to write with how many children do you have? I have four children. That's uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot. 10, eight, six, and four. That's and about what my sister has. Yeah. Oh man, bless her. I know. Uh, they're awesome. It is hard. Uh, it is, 
You know, in some ways it's made me a lot better as a writer because I don't have time to overthink things anymore. Yeah. You know, like 10, 11 years ago, if I would be sitting down to write a song, I'd have ample time to just sit there and process it. And now I have to be able to sit there and process it within the amount of time that I have help with my kids. And so it's definitely hard and different than it used to be. Um, but in a lot of ways, I'm just a lot more prolific than I was because I'm trusting my instincts more than I used to, uh, when I'm writing. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. Um, do you feel like there, it, like it's easier to, um, you know, I've heard parents say before that like, you know, having a kid running around, is like having your heart run around everywhere. Is it easier to like tap into that, like heart of the matter since you have that like welling up around you all the time I don't know if I would agree with that because I feel like I'm really overstimulated over the time oh yeah with four kids that's true you know I mean they're like I said they're awesome and I love them and you're right because you are you are tapping into like the most visceral parts of yourself all of the time with kids because they don't have a filter they don't have like a they don't they're um I guess, what do we call it in psychology? Their ego, right? Isn't formed yeah. around them yet to, you know, help them cope with things. So you are tapping into like super deep emotions and responses and helping them learn how to govern themselves and, and their hearts all day long. For me, it's exhausting doing that all the time. It's, it's certainly beautiful and worth it, but I think in a way it's made it harder for me to like with writing, I have to take a few minutes, <laughs> Yeah, you know, to like center myself um, before I dive into writing, because a lot of times the energy that, that I'm, that I've been taking in is very, um, it's very frenetic kind of energy from four different children. So I have to like, like uh, during quarantine, when everyone was home, I had our babysitter who was in our what do you call it? Like our quarantine pod with us. We were like the only place she came. Yeah. <laughs> bubble. Yeah. She's in our little bu bubble. She would come over. I would take a 10 minute walk because it was crazy here. And it's not just my kids. Our neighborhood is full of kids and we love these kids. There's quite oftentimes 10 or 12 or 13 kids in and out of my house all the time. And when we were quarantined, we quarantined with two other families um, and so that was eight, that was 12 kids altogether. So ah, they didn't have school and, yeah. uh, it was so good for them to have each other. It was crazy. And I was trying to write because I just felt like I was dying inside, you know, if I didn't work on something. Uh, so the babysitter would come over, I would take a walk without my phone, you know, without anything with me. I would come back in. I wouldn't talk to anyone, go straight to my bedroom, lock the door. And she knew two hours, nobody comes back here. And shockingly, even with all those children in and out, it worked. Just, I did that two hours, Monday through Thursday during quarantine for however many months that was. Um, and I wrote something like 40 songs and wow. Yeah. And a lot of them, like I'm going to keep, you know, they don't all suck. <laughs> <laughs> so that has been really interesting. And I think if I didn't have kids, uh, I don't think I would have been as driven to focus that way. Um, because I just don't have big increments of time. It's just made me, you know, really, really zero in when I have the time to do it during the day, I'm just in it. And then I'm moving on. But I know for myself, and I don't know what you're like with writing, but if I'm not kind of working on it a little bit every day, I can sort of get out of the writing headspace and then it's hard to get back in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to dive back into the melodies and the poetry if you don't kind of have it running in the back of your mind. Yeah. I uh, Something that I do or have done at least in the last couple of years more so is I'll start working on something mm -hmm. and I'll like hum a melody or something and kind of work out yeah. the chords, yeah. put it in my phone and yep. I could be driving. I could be, yeah. you know, going for a run. I could be sleeping. Right. And I'm working out the song. Absolutely. The whole time. And yep. 
so like it, it's like it's always in the back of my mind somewhere yeah. and that's that's more of a new thing in the last couple of years that started yeah. happening but um yeah it's 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 like I'm 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 writing while I'm doing other things yes too, but totally. I don't have four kids you know well so for me what you're talking about that will happen if I have a little concentrated time that will happen the rest of the day if I don't have any concentrated time I just feel like a mess and I yeah. can't access that part of my brain. So that's just, that's how it's working right now. And you know, as the kids get older, that will probably change again. Um, yeah. I, um, I went and visited my sister, uh, over the summer, I think. And, mm -hmm. um, I was with the kids and so she has 11, nine and six, and then she has, mm -hmm. uh, she's pregnant for another one. Um, and the six year old, especially, uh well the nine and the six-year-old are, are a little wild but the six-year-old would because they, they were out of school and they were bored would do stuff like he would just get naked and run around the house and you're trying to oh, write yeah. a song and like oh, you can't yeah. so like I, I remember thinking like oh I'm gonna write so many songs I'm like away from distractions and they yeah. were the distraction the whole time you know yes they're totally they're great that way they're great that way lots of nakedness and <laughs> st style behavior my husband calls it a goat rodeo we have a goat, a goat rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> I would just chunk them in the pool. I would just like, look, shut up or I'm throwing you in the pool. Close yeah. it all. And that, yeah. that usually worked. We knew, we knew that it was going to be a hard year when like four months into being quarantined, the kids were tired of being in the pool. We were like, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. I was counting on that, getting me through this, you know, <laughs> yeah. it gets bored real quick. Yeah. Really funny. quick. Um, so how did you, on top of that, find time to get in the studio? Well, so originally, um, Brian Elijah Smith was going to come down here and use a studio in Lakeland. And that was, you know, before the world shut down. And so we kind of tabled it for a while, um, you know, and kept in touch. Um, and then in June, Florida opened up for you could do you could travel for business and so i just took the opportunity to fly to virginia uh to his studio for a weekend um and so i did that and then came right back uh and we did we recorded three songs that weekend and started on the fourth one um and that was mid-june and then i just came back and was locked down again you know yeah um, understandably so that's how, just how it's had to be this year. How has been doing press, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's already hard being in Florida to get up yeah. to, to press stuff, but it has it mostly I'm imagining been remote type. Everything's been remote. It's been so strange. Everything's yeah. been remote. I'd never even heard of zoom, you know, before all of this, right? Same. Same. Um, but everything's been on zoom or through email. It's, it's, it's so strange to feel so disconnected from people, you know, when you're, when you're talking about something so personal as art, right? Right. Like right now we don't even have our videos on, so we can't even look each other in the eyes. And, yeah. Crazy. It's, it's, it's weird time. Um, but your publicist actually is the one who convinced me to do zoom because I, I've always been like, for me the point of the podcast is like the, the connection and the, and the community. Yeah. And so yeah. I've always been like, come over, here's the mic. Let's talk like almost right. like a radio program. Right. Right. And, um, Kellen of Troy was the last in-person interview that I did. And I was just like, well, I'll just shut down until it's over. It's only going to be a couple of months. And oh my gosh. Rachel was like, try this zoom thing. If you don't like it, don't worry about it, but let's at least try it. And I was like, Oh, this isn't bad. This, this is easy enough. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's brilliant. She's been so amazing too with, I, I, it's rare to find a publicist who has such a heart for the artist. you know, like yeah. when things first shut down, her and Frank were the first people I saw trying to like throw together live streams and help artists file for unemployment and like all this stuff. And they weren't getting paid for that. Um, yeah. So both of them are just amazing and they've been so on top of trying to find new ways to help us get our music to people. 
I, I feel like I would just be not, I just wouldn't be doing nearly as well without their help. They, they're just amazing. That's, yeah, that's awesome. And it's, it's definitely much needed in these times because it's, uh, it's, it's just been a weird, um, I don't know, like, because I remember when the first, when it first happened, everyone jumped on the streaming bandwagon, of course, yes. and I, I knew that that would run out of steam. I never right. really got on it. Um, right. I'm not a huge fan necessarily of it. Me and Josh King were just talking about the, that the other day. We both just like, I like you said, you need that connection of the like, in person yeah. performance. Yeah. Like, and the stream doesn't do it. Yeah. Staring at a, a camera. And pretending just doesn't work. I mean, if I'm on SNL, sure, but like, right. you know, if I'm just at home in my room, it just feels like I'm, I'm, I might as well get out the hairbrush and, and slide across the floor or something. I know. I know that might be more entertaining than most live <laughs> out there right now. Sadly, yeah. I feel the same way. And, you know, I felt like, uh, frustrated. I, I did a couple of them like really early on. I think I've done two, two or three max. I think two though. And both times I got really frustrated because there's such a delay in the interaction. So not only can you not see them, but they're trying to talk to you while you're playing and it doesn't even show up, you know, to like a full minute later. Yeah. It just, it felt very unnatural and frustrating to me. So I just was like, well, I'll just try to think of other ways to do this. One thing I am excited about uh, is uh, Cincinnati or CincyMusic.com is doing a streaming, like a Save Our Stages thing, uh, specifically for Southgate House Revival, which is a uh, venue in Kentucky that I adore. I adore the people. I love playing there, and they're they're kind of needing some money. So um, I said yes to it, and I got to just record it. Oh, that's great. And send it in and it's going to live stream on several platforms, you know, the day before Thanksgiving. And I'm so thankful for that because uh, I don't have to be pre like, I don't even have to be, I can watch it with everyone else, you know? And yeah, that is the way to do it. They did the Tom Petty thing that way. Yeah. And I thought that was cool because it was a collection of performances and they were all different. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's super cool. I just... I, I'm all for letting people like this podcast, letting people into our lives, letting yeah. them know a little bit more about the behind the scenes. But I've toyed with the idea of doing like a regular one, mm -hmm. um, like maybe a once a week, 30 minute thing that I control a lot more. Right. But yeah, it's I'm struggling with it for sure. It's not it's not the joy of music for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. And I kind of feel like with, with everything that's going on. I want to spend my time on the things that light me up as much as I possibly can. And so that's something that's just kind of fallen by the wayside because I haven't found a way to do it that made me excited about it. You know, like yeah. I, I'd much rather throw my resources and, and um, my creativity toward recording something people can keep that sounds really good, you know, than like buying a bunch of nice mics to sit here in my bedroom and stare at my phone. <laughs> yeah exactly uh, yeah I totally agree with that um are you still like performing uh on violin on a regular basis or just mostly in the studio for your projects and stuff I do a lot of session work uh with the violin and the viola um for other bands and you know a couple of my friends uh are producers that I'll come in one in particular I'll, I'll go in and just you know, do a couple songs here and there for him whenever he needs it. <clears throat> so that's really a fun way to keep doing it. Um, but the last time I played violin live was March 3rd. I did a songwriter circle um, in Winter Park with Thomas Wynn. Do you know Thomas? Um, I may have met him. The name's not ringing a bell right now. So Thomas Wynn, um, and then I, I met him through his wife, Hannah Harbour Wynn, who is, she's an amazing singer-songwriter. Did a songwriter circle with him that night, and I brought out the fiddle, because I never get to play it when it's, when it's my stuff. I'm always playing guitar or piano, so I brought it yeah. out so I could play along with them, and it was so much fun. And then, like, the world shut down a week later. <laughs> uh, 
you're like, maybe I will start doing this. Nope. I know. It was so fun and low pressure, you know, because it wasn't my songs. I could just improvise and play along and it was so much fun. And I was like, maybe I'll do this again. And then it was like game over. Yeah. <laughs> um, you now have a connection to another one of my uh, guests on the podcast that were on last month, Mona Lisa Tribe. They're also from Florida and played. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, Folk Yeah Festival, which should be next week, but will not be happening, I don't think. Sadness. No. Um, but yeah, they they joined the podcast here. They just moved to Nashville not too long ago, and they played as well at the. So you're my they second folk, yeah. Well, I guess third if you count Stephen Dunn. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, those gals were amazing. Yeah, the, the Mona Lisa Tribe gals were so good. Everybody was good at that festival. They were, yeah. I'm surprised you hadn't hooked up with them because they're like all about like all the string folk instruments and stuff. You could have. I know. I'd never even met them. I had never heard of them. And then there they were with their cellos and their violins and everything else sounding like angels from heaven. Yeah, they're great. Um, but uh, yeah, they're. I think they're releasing a cover album soon. And um, Tabitha and I have been writing some songs together uh, up here in Nashville. So super, super talented group. But it's cool that we all have that connection. And I didn't meet either of y'all actually face to face at the festival. <laughs> that is so funny and wild. But yeah. you know, Mike Dunn would be so happy to hear that because it's the whole reason he does that festival is for artists to to connect with other artists that are song craft focused, you know? Right. So it's amazing how that happens. Yeah, that dude doesn't get enough credit for all the stuff he does for music. <laughs> He's a freaking genius, and he's just got the biggest heart of anybody. Videographer, photographer, songwriter, extraordinaire, uh, <laughs> festival producer. <laughs> there's like, I don't think there's anything he, he can't do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what does touring look like for you in the future? I've seen like, like Jordan Foley and some of the other guys down there are uh, doing some gigs uh, occasionally. Are, are you just waiting until 2021? Um, I'm kind of feeling it out. Um, I have plans to go back in the studio up in Virginia uh, next uh, December. I think it's December 11th through the 15th. I'm going to be up there. Uh, and there may be a performance when I'm up there at a vineyard. Um, but as far as like booking regular things, I'm really just kind of feeling it out. I want to see how things are going and um kind of pay attention to the climate you know what I mean yeah because I'm just not sure if people are there yet with wanting to come out and um when I do it again I want to be really you know intentional about doing it well um so yeah I guess the answer is I'm not sure I don't know that seems to be the common theme among guests currently it's it's like you gotta have a there has to be a benefit right to it and it's like okay you're paying me a ton of money and it's like socially distanced cool or like okay right. this is gonna be like a huge platform for me but not a lot of money that's cool maybe i'll do it but like just like hey come play my bar i really need somebody to play like that's not a good enough reason <laughs> yeah it just doesn't feel like a good use of time of my time right now to do that kind of thing so I'm kind of waiting it out to see what happens there. And, you know, all the festivals that we'd be on, both of us are, you know, out till what was the earliest they said Americana Fest wouldn't be back until November of next year at the earliest. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I'm kind of waiting to see like the trickle down of, you know. I don't think there will be a lot of summer festivals this coming year, but. But just because like that's only six, eight months away and it takes a full year at least of planning. Like, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it could be interesting to think about other ways. Like if I started feeling like I wanted to try to do something that was really intentional, I think maybe some house concerts like that were done really well could be cool. Yeah. Um, I think that that's the way people are going to feel most comfortable 
this year. Um, I've never done that like as a thing, you know, I have friends that have done whole tours that are all home concert focused and they've been great. Um, so I don't have, I, I don't have that all worked out for myself, but I think that that might be more the way to go for a singer songwriter. If you're feeling like you want to try that, I think that might be more like it might yield a better experience than like, you know, pulling up to a bar where it's all socially distanced and less than half capacity. And yeah, it's just a bummer. <laughs> I've just resolved to slowly ease into, you know, spring, summer of 2021 yeah. um, and not yeah, really worry about anything else. Yeah. Plus like the holidays in music, it's shut down anyway and we're coming up on that pretty soon. So it kind of makes sense to think about what's next spring and summer look like and, you know, give ourselves a break, like not a break from being an artist, but a break from putting pressure on ourselves that might be unreasonable, you know? Yeah. I, I, that's a weird thing too, is that, um, and you may feel similarly. Um, I think we might be similar ages is that like, I, I feel like I'm behind the curve. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I see people 10, 15 years younger than me that are killing it. And, right. and I feel like I got to play catch up a little bit, you know? So right. um, some of that for me is like, like I'm doubling, I've been doubling down for two or three years trying to make more headway. Mm -hmm. And this is like a forced rest that I, I didn't even know I needed, you know? I know I'm the same. Like I could verbatim say exactly what you just said. I, I feel that way too. Cause I took a long sabbatical from the music industry to, to raise my kids. And so coming back in was like drinking from a fire hose, you know, and when you pour your creativity and your finances into making an album, you want to see it flourish. And so, you know, for me, I released that record in November. I had all this momentum. I was averaging like, I think I was at like 1200 listeners a month, which is a very strong beginning, right? That's a very strong beginning for streaming. And sure, then, that's about a thousand more than I get. <laughs> dude, well, now I'm down to, oh, let's check it while we're talking so we can be depressed together. <laughs> um, I'm, right now I'm at 278 monthly listeners. Yeah. You know, and that's all because like I, I wasn't able to follow up the record with a strong spring that I had scheduled. Not everybody's in that same boat, you know. I mean, the numbers for someone who's a couple years farther along than me might look different, but we're all, you know, struggling there. Um, well, I think that it also like it killed everyone's so everybody's schedule looks different, you know. Somebody might right. be doing a spring summer tour and not releasing until the fall and you might be releasing. So like, there's uh, a lot of space for people to release albums at different times, but now everybody's just sitting on their hands releasing. Right. So like, there's only so many people, so many ears that can hear right. that song right now. So it's getting split up, I think. Right, for sure. And you know, like for people to invest, like to go from just being a casual listener, being like a fan of what you're doing, they have to have their emotions invested in what you're doing. And I think it's hard when when the industry is as saturated as it is right like there's just so many people releasing music it's everybody's fighting for the same audience um and you know we have a short attention spans i'm guilty of it too like i don't always listen to what's on my release radar on spotify you know yeah and those are people i follow because i like their music well there's also the like i've heard songs 15 times on Spotify and didn't know who the artist was like, that's a good song and didn't know it was just on a playlist, you know? Right. Right. For sure. And so we're all kind of in that same, uh, we're all in that same space, right. Of, you know, I make music and I listen to music and I do the same thing. So it's just, it's, it's hard. And I think, so I think to go back to what you're saying about like feeling sort of under, under the gun and you feel like you've got, there's a lot of pressure, right, to to make something happen so that you can move into this being a sustainable long-term career, right? Mm -hmm. You feel all this pressure and then you're forced to go on a break, you know? And then while you're on the break, you start seeing all these people releasing music and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. 
And I think if we focus on that, yeah, of course that can, that can look very, very discouraging, but then, you know, if we remember, well, why, why is it, why is it that I'm doing this, you know, not to get too kumbaya on you, but for, for real, like you're doing this because it's in you to do it and you're not going to stop doing it just because it's hard, you know? Right. It's torture to stop making music. So we'll just keep making music. And I mean, I hope, I hope streaming sees some radical reform at some point in the not too distant future, because it's really not a sustainable platform long-term for the artists or for the companies who are running the streaming. I think that Bandcamp is in a position to have a sea change in the industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that we as artists need to be smart enough to uh, all jump ship. And yeah. uh, here's my personal take on it. And I hope that other people join. I would I, love to hear it. Yeah. I think that, you know, your idea of putting out singles is great on Spotify. And I think that the next time I release something, what I will do is uh, release the singles, treat Spotify like it's radio because it's trash uh, for royalties Mm-hmm. and uh, release the full length, uh, the full release on Bandcamp. And That's a really interesting idea, yeah. I think that uh, give that gives more value, N- not that like I deserve more value, we all deserve that value, but it gives more value to my product sure. as a whole because you're only getting a taste of uh, what I have to offer. And if that's all you want, that's fine. But if you want the full artistic experience, then you purchase the the full product, you know. And I, I yeah. think that it's, you know, I have seen some people doing it, but they do it like uh, Strays Don't Sleep are just on the podcast. And they, I think, went two or three weeks. And my politic, a, a few of my friends have done it where they released it on Bandcamp for a few weeks beforehand. But I think right. it needs to be even longer, you know, like. I think you're right. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, it, and it's, it's a change that's got to happen. I just, I hope that it happens sooner rather than later. I think the biggest change <clears throat> to lead, you know, to lead artists to that, that making that move, myself included, is seeing the value in your art enough to not feel desperate about streaming, like to not feel like somehow you have to have that, right? To be like legitimate. Yeah. Well, it was the same thing like back in the day. I remember on, uh, I was in an indie band that wanted to sign to Tooth & Nail Records and mm-hmm. we were, uh, we talked to an A&R guy and he said, you're, you don't have enough streams on MySpace to right. be signed. And it's like, okay, but like, have you seen our fan base? Like, and exactly. so. Yeah if that's the metric is MySpace plays or Spotify plays, it's the same thing. It's just 10 years later, you know? Right. 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 And, and there's a very big difference between like getting people who'll show up to your performances and then being like, you know, Spotify famous or whatever, because you got playlisted, which Five is years ago. It was Facebook. How many Facebook likes now? Nobody I, cares. Nobody. Now nobody can even figure out Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think that that may happen with uh, Spotify. They've they've got their 15 minutes of fame and, mm-hmm. you know, um, so we just have to be smart enough to know, like you said, have value in the product and, and the best way to package it uh, for uh, our fans to want to purchase it. For sure. Because the fans are out there, you know, they really are. Like there really are people who love good music and who love to connect with artists personally you know i don't think that i don't think that like good music has been killed by the algorithm i do think it's been made it really really muddy and hard uh for people to find the music that they'll connect with you know yeah so when's your next single come out (laughs) um well the live performance of bird on a wire is out on december 4th so that's something um, and then the next single will be late January. Awesome. Um, and what's the next single called? I'm writing it down. Well, I haven't decided yet. Oh, it's, okay. It's either going to be, I, I'm actually trying to get Rachel Hurley to help me decide which song to release next. It'll be one of three. 
it will either be a song called Big Feelings, mm-hmm. which is as dramatic as it sounds. Well, just stop there. That sounds great. I'm sold. <laughs> it's like, talk about emo. It's a song I wrote in my bedroom at the beginning of quarantine. <laughs> That's great. I hope it'll be that one. I think it's probably going to be that one, but it'll either be that one or it'll be a song called Joshua from that. That's from the live uh, live performance album. Um, unless I decide to do the second one from the other album. So there's your non-answer. I don't know. So stay tuned uh, by going to Fan Plating on Spotify. Do you have a website? Um, I do. It's not awesome, but you can go to vanplating.com and it'll take you to the other places. Okay, great. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on, uh, and taking time out of your busy day to talk with me. It's, it's a pleasure to always speak to you and, uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yes, I'm in. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. That is it for 2020 on Americana station podcast. Thanks so much for being a follower of this podcast this year. I really appreciate it. And uh, it means so much to me. If you've uh, left a review, if you shared it with a friend, uh, if you told somebody about this podcast, that means the world to me. And it means the world to all the artists that have been on this podcast this year. I have a lot of plans next year. Um, There's a lot more content coming and I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm excited to share uh, the next phase of Americana Station. So uh, thank you so much for uh, everything, all your support this season. And uh, please, uh, if you haven't followed the podcast, go and follow. Go rate and review. Share it with your friends. Uh, tell your mom. Uh, hug everyone that, you can, that you're can uh, that you quarantining with and uh, tell them you love them. And uh, let's make 2021 great. Signing off till next year. Happy New Year. Just a homeless heart chained to the night Yeah, in my dreams I set the world on fire Then I hang from the moon like a bird on a wire I'm still hanging from the moon like a bird on a wire